I'm Ashley. I'm Jen. And I'm Sarah. And we are Unabridged, the podcast where teachers take on books. Join us each week for bookish episodes and check out our website, unabridgedpod.com, where you can find lots of new bookish content every week. Find us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at unabridgedpod and message us there or see our website to get plugged into the unabridged community. You want opinions about books? We've got them. and welcome to Unabridged. This is episode 201. Today we are discussing Aiden Thomas's Cemetery Boys. That is our October book club pick. Before we get started with our discussion today, I just wanted to remind you, if you are enjoying the podcast, please rate, review, and subscribe. You can do that wherever you listen. We know that a lot of you are out there listening and that you share some really awesome comments with us, which we love hearing, but it does help a lot with us finding new listeners. If you take a minute to review publicly, we always love sharing those on air and we really love hearing what you have to say and we love letting other book lovers know about that so that they can join in if they're interested in these discussions. Before we dive into Cemetery Boys, we are going to share our bookish check-ins. Jen, what are you reading? So I'm reading a book I'm really loving, but I keep trying to figure out a concise way to explain it. So get ready. So I am reading (laughs) Emily Henry's The Love That Split the World, which is a YA book by Emily Henry, who we've talked about on the podcast before. We talked about one of her adult books, Beach Read, but this is her debut And I am loving it so far. It is complex. So it is about a girl named Natalie Cleary. It's her senior year in high school. Right before she graduates, she wakes up in the middle of the night and there is a spirit in her room who she calls grandmother. And she has seen spirits her whole life, usually at night, but she went through some treatment that means she has not seen a spirit for three years. And so grandmother reappearing in her room takes her off guard, but also makes her happy. So grandmother is not a threatening spirit. She is someone or a spirit who used to tell Natalie a lot of stories from different cultures. A lot of them were creation stories. And so Natalie is really glad to see her again. And grandmother comes back, but she tells her that this will be the last time that she ever sees her. She tells her a story And then she says, you have three months to save him or he dies and gives her a name of someone to find and then leaves. So Natalie is going through high school graduation. She recently broke up with her long-term boyfriend. They are still friends, but it was like an anchor in her life that she doesn't have anymore. Natalie was adopted and has always sort of wondered about family, about her birth parents and where she came from. And so she just is going through a lot. She's lives in Kentucky, but has been accepted to Brown University. So she's getting ready to leave the community, which she's ready for. But again, is a lot of change. And so, yeah, she is just going through a lot. And now she has this piled on top of it. So something happens the morning after she sees grandmother and all of a sudden the world sort of drops away. And she's still in her hometown, but for a few seconds, she sees a different version of her hometown. And then these episodes start getting longer. And while she's having one of them, she meets this boy named Bo, this man named Bo. And and that's about what I know right now. So it's like, there are all these threads in place. 
There are all of these really interesting things, and I'm not really sure where it's going, but as in Emily Henry's other books, I think the writing is really strong. I love the way she did this in A Million Junes too. I love the way the supernatural and the fantasy elements are woven into the story. So we have those, but also it's about Natalie as a person dealing with the same things that a lot of teenagers deal with. There's there's just this other stuff layered on top. So yeah, I'm loving it so far. That is Emily Henry's The Love That Split the World. Wow, Jen, I hadn't heard much about that one, but that sounds really fascinating. I have that one on my shelf. I haven't read it yet, but I've eyed it several times. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it really makes me, I think there are two other, maybe three other books that she has that I haven't read. And I definitely want to make my way through them. I think I'm really interested in her backlist because I think her writing is just great. And she has such an interesting way of telling a story. So, Yeah. Yeah. That, it sounds like it has some of the some magical elements like in a million June. So that's really interesting. Yeah. What about you, Sarah? What are you reading? You know how I like to cheat. So I am going to cheat because I just finished this book. It is Daniel Walker's Food Saved Me, My Journey of Finding Health and Hope Through the Power of Food. And so Daniel Walker is a cookbook author who has a bunch of different paleo and grain-free and dairy-free, gluten-free cookbooks. I have all of them. And so I've I've always admired her blog and admired her cookbooks. I just really, I think the recipes are really delicious. And even though they are minus all of those other <laughs> ingredients that we're used to, I just, I think her recipes are great. So I've always followed her as a cookbook author. And so she released this memoir just recently. And she basically tells her story. In her early 20s, she was diagnosed with really extreme case of ulcerative colitis. And she really had to start looking at ways in that she could heal herself. I mean, she was near death several times. So it's an autoimmune disease. And she really didn't want to take all the steroids and things like that, that normally treat the disease. So she started looking at what she was eating and how different things affected her body. She had a really hard time finding doctors who were supportive of her trying to do this. And she, so it's just all this about her journey. And in addition, I mean, she talks about, you know, being, she has four, four kids now, I think, or three or four. And she talks about how each pregnancy kind of disrupted her disease and how during the pregnancy she would feel better than ever. And then after she would have these flare-ups. I mean, she just goes through a lot. She suffers some really tragic losses during the course of the story. And it's just very, I just found it very moving. She has this really deep-seated faith that I related to. And I just really love this story because it's it's a story of resilience and finding your way. And I just loved it. So I love her. I think she is amazing. And I love the book. So that is Danielle Walker's Food Saved Me, My Journey of Finding Health and Hope Through the Power of Food. That's really fascinating. I remember yeah. you talking about I've her cookbooks before. So it's really neat to see her memoir. And this yeah, is also part of my Beyond the Bookends reading challenge because I I needed to read a book about an author. <laughs> so she's a cookbook author, but then this is her story. So it's really good. Neat. What about you, Ashley? What are you reading? So this is one I just started and it is Jasmine Borga's Other Words for Home. And this is a middle grade read. A couple of the ambassadors for Unabridged have 
read and loved this one and had really great things to say about it. So I wanted to check it out and I'm listening to the audio, which is excellent. And it is about Judah. She is Syrian. And in the beginning, she is still living in Syria. She lives in a small town on the beach. And as she's describing her life there, it's becoming more, there's more and more upheaval. So her older brother is becoming really interested in the revolution and the movement to overturn the government. And her dad, her parents, but especially her dad, is really opposed to that. Her brother wants democracy and wants people to have more freedom. And the dad just wants stability and safety. And so he doesn't want her brother involved largely because he's concerned for safety and like that's his primary focus and so there's a lot of contention within her family but also she's starting to see some of the struggles in syria her town is still largely stable but there are other areas of the country that are crumbling and where violence is coming and war is coming and so that happens in the beginning and then pretty quickly in the book, it becomes apparent that her family is going to make the decision for her and her mom to go to America. Her uncle is there and so they're looking for a way to keep her and her mom safe. Her dad runs a store in Syria, so he is really, I mean, that's their family's livelihood. So he needs to stay with the store. So she makes that transition. And so I'm at the part now where she is in America and she's adjusting to life there. And I mean, I absolutely love it. It is a novel in verse. It is middle grade. And I think it is such a beautiful portrayal of what it feels like to be in a country that is portrayed in such a negative way in the news. But of course, for Judah and for her life, it's largely, I mean, it's her home and it's a beautiful place and she loves it and she loved her life there and misses it. And yet she's having to adjust to living in America and how unbelievably different that is for her and trying to find her way with that. Her uncle is from Syria, but has an American wife. He, he has a child and the child is very, you know, Americanized. And so there's also that conflict. She, the two of them are pretty close in age, but her life is so different from Judah's and just her understanding of the world is really different. And so all of that is just really fascinating. And I love seeing Judah go into the school and her experiences of what that is like. So I think it is a great read. I am loving it. And I also think it's a great fit for kids and for people to have a chance to see what it is like to immigrate into another country and what it's like to go to school in a place that is different than where you are from and what that can feel like for people and i just think it's really great so i am absolutely loving it i love seeing those moments of kindness when somebody reaches out to judah and does kind things for her but i also think the book does a great job of showing all the moments of loneliness and just the feeling of being isolated and being different and how hard that can be. And again, that's Jasmine Warga's Other Words for Home. I have seen that everywhere. I did not realize it was a novel in verse. So yeah, I, that, I don't know why that makes me want to read it even more. Yeah. So interestingly, <laughs> I didn't know that either, Jen. And when I started it, because I was listening, it's harder to tell. And so I did look it up because it the thing that I really noted was that the the way that it was counting the movement, like 
it counts the chapters, essentially the parts and the chapters. And as the narrator was doing that, it made me wonder if it was a novel in verse and, and the lines are really beautiful. And so that part as well made me think about that. But yeah, sometimes it's interesting when you are listening. I think that is less apparent than when you're reading on the page as far as like noting the difference. But yeah, I think it makes it really inviting for readers and it's a really beautiful story. That sounds really good. I'm like, Jen, I'm more interested now too to know because it's a novel in verse. Isn't that funny? Yeah. I don't know why because I like non-novels in verse just fine. But yeah. When I've been looking for more middle grade books, my daughter is really loving, particularly listening to audiobooks. And so I've been trying to find ones that are a good fit for her. And some of them that I really love, I think are age appropriate for my daughter, but she is very sensitive and has a really tough time with a pretty wide range of topics, actually. And so then I have to, you know, find ones that are engaging enough for her to, like, she wants them to be intellectually stimulating, but then she also doesn't want it to have some of these kind of heavier themes that I think are necessary in books. So bridging that is a challenge for me to kind of find things that I think she'll really enjoy, but that she also is not going to kind of turn away from. And also kind of, I'd like to help her navigate some of those harder topics in a way that's going to help her, you know, enjoy and accept them instead of feeling like she absolutely is going to like run away from them. And so kind of figuring that out. So that was part of why I started it too, because I think it is the kind of topic that would be really interesting to her. And so far, I think she would actually really love it. And so yeah, we'll see. So we wanted to discuss Cemetery Boys. This is Aiden Thomas's first book. I, Sarah and I have both read Lost in the Neverwoods. Jen, you haven't read that yet, have you? I haven't yet. It's on my list. Okay, so, <laughs> um, so I know we both really were moved by that and found that to be a really interesting story. And Jen had read this one already and really loved it. So we, and it also, it is fitting for the season. And so for all those reasons, we wanted to share this for our October book club pick. Thanks to everybody who discussed that on Instagram with us. The book club chats are so much fun. And as many of you have probably noticed, we have kind of rearranged our schedule for this season. So often the book club chat is happening prior to the episode releasing. So be sure that you're looking out for that. You can find that information at Underbridge Pod on Instagram or you can go to our website, unabridgedpod.com to keep up with when those next book club discussions are coming, but they are typically happening before these episodes drop these days. So here is a synopsis before we dig into our discussion. And I had a little trouble summarizing this, but I'm just gonna plow forward. So this is my synopsis. In Aiden Thomas's Cemetery Boys, Yadriel is a coming of age brujo eager to support his community and the special role that brujos play in the community in helping spirits transition to the afterlife after their deaths. However, because he's trans and because his father, who is in charge of the brujos, doesn't fully understand and support him, Yadriel has been denied the opportunity to officially become a brujo. After waiting for the opportunity and realizing the community will not give it to him, Yadriel takes matters into his own hands. With the support of his bruja cousin, Maritza, Yadriel completes the ceremony himself and summons a spirit, preparing himself to send that spirit into the afterlife. However, along comes Julian Diaz, a teenager who recently lost his life due to a violent and mysterious circumstance. And suddenly, simply sending Julian into the afterlife is no longer so simple. As Dia de los Muertos rapidly approaches, Julian, Yadriel, and Maritza 
embark on a wild and fast-paced adventure, seeking to solve the mystery of not only Julian's death, but also the other mysterious and dark circumstances surrounding them. So a little long-winded there, but there's a lot of really interesting things happening in the premise, and I'm sure that we will get into some of those plot points as we talk about the book. But Sarah, what was your overall impression? I I struggled with this one a little bit. I recognize that the writing was really great and I enjoyed the fantasy component. I thought that the for me, the beginning, I felt like we weren't going very quickly and I really liked the last half of the book better than the first half. I did ultimately, like I found the ending very impactful and I listened to both the author's note and the interview with the author at the end and I found that that increased my enjoyment of what I had read. But I will, I just wanted to be honest, I did struggle a little bit in the beginning, but I thought that the, I did feel impacted at the end. Nice. What about you, Jen? I loved it. So <laughs> this was my first five-star read of 2021. And the first time I read it, I had put it on a library hold. And when it came in, I was not sure I was in the mood to read it, but library holds always make me read them. And I devoured it and I was completely giddy when I finished it and loved it so much. And I will say recently I've had the experience of a couple of rereads not holding up to the first time through. And this one did for me. And I think I wasn't quite as giddy reading it, but I appreciated some things that Thomas does even more than I did the first time. I think the first time I was really swept away by the relationship between Yadriel and Julian and this time through, I was noticing more of the world building and some of the social issues that Aiden Thomas decides to take on in the book. So yeah, I really loved it. I did feel like it held up on this reread. How about you, Ashley? Yeah, I think I relate to some of both of what you said. Sarah, similarly, it didn't move quite as fast as I was expecting. And like so many things in my life these days, I was on a bit of a time crunch. And so I was like, "Uh oh, I should have started this sooner. But I felt like part of that is because of exactly what you're saying, Jen, about the world building and a lot of those components that I think that Thomas devotes time to that really make it that elevate a lot of what happens in the book. So I did feel like, yeah, the pacing was maybe a little bit slower than I expected, but some of that was because of the things that I think we that pay out for us as the readers toward the end. And I think what I really loved was the exploration of the idea of there being a spirit world and that there is this amazing and unique latinx connection to that spirit world and i loved the way that thomas shows that as being not a monolith but just this like wide celebration of all these different aspects of latinx culture and like bringing those together in this really colorful and celebratory way that shows the important role that these brujos and brujas are playing in society while also giving a pretty direct and strong critique of the way that community members who are different for whatever reason, how they are treated. And so I felt like all of that was just really richly done that I think it's hard to both celebrate and uplift a culture, but also criticize something about it. And I feel like all of that happens in the book really well and works together nicely and shows that Yadriel 
can both celebrate his family and his tradition and his larger community, but also feel the pain and the frustration of them not being able to accept him as he is. And I think we just see all of that. And I think that part was just really amazing and really well done. Yes. I love that too. It's so complex. I mean, there's a lot of nuance in the book and I just always appreciate that. Yeah, absolutely. So we're going to talk a little bit about what worked for us. So we'll pick one specific thing that worked for us in the book, and then we'll share some quotes that we enjoyed. Jen, what is something that worked for you? Yeah, so I alluded to this in my first comment, but I think the way that Aiden Thomas is addressing a lot of different social issues that I think are great for the YA reader to think about. So obviously, Yajiriel is trans, and I felt like that depiction of what his life was like and of the things that he was trying to work through was really powerful. But also, there are just a ton of other social issues that are just The second time through, I was really questioning, do these work? Do they feel like they're forced into the narrative? And I didn't think they were. So Maritza has decided that she cannot fully embrace her identity as a bruja because she has to use animal blood as part of the ceremonies. And therefore, she just decides not to do it. And I think that with Julian's friends, we see that there are a lot of issues there that Thomas is addressing. So Luca has joined a gang because his home life is so difficult that he feels like he has no support. And so he joined a gang for that reason. You see people making assumptions about some of the teenagers that Julian knows because of the way that they look. So yeah, I think that there is just, this is such a rich world, both fantasy wise, but also a a contemporary world that is rich. Oh, even when Miguel, his cousin disappears And his parents go to the police station to report that he is missing and they ask for a translator. And instead it becomes this whole question of whether they are there legally or not. And so instead of helping the family, it's something that then becomes a threat to the family and they're afraid to go back. So I think there are just all of these incidents and these beliefs woven into the storyline that makes it a rich contemporary realistic world as well as a rich fantasy world. And that just really worked for me. Yeah. Yeah. I loved like with Omar's parent, you know, Omar had the most stable background, but then his parents have been deported. And then therefore he was, you know, by himself and he could stay, but they could not. And I, and same with that passage about Miguel's family, Jen, I almost chose that for my quote. Cause I felt like even though this is not, a book that's dealing largely with issues of status and immigration and those kinds of things. It's a huge part of many of the members in this community. And I think that Thomas manages to include all of that, even though there are some aspects that are, of course, fantastical that are different than our world. I I agree that I loved the way that Thomas does not look past those things or ignore them. And I think they do make the book a lot richer. And I mean, exactly what you said about Julian's crew, you know, all of the attitudes that people at the school have about them and things like that. And the dismissal of kids' lives as being inconsequential if they are not in these kind of traditional homes with traditional family dynamics that they might have, you know, that whole thing about them running away and that nobody's even looking for Julian yes. because they just assumed he ran away. I mean, I thought 
all of that is just really powerful. So yeah. Well, and when Yadriel's uncle says that other than Miguel, that the people he chose would not be missed by anyone. And then you see that Julian has this amazing family, both biological and found that does miss him. But yeah, you're right. It's just this casual assumption that he's going to be able to kidnap and kill these people. And no one will notice because they are not fitting into the community in the way he expects. Oh my gosh, that I, I found that to be really powerful. And one of those casual toss off comments that had a big impact on yeah. me as a reader. Yeah, absolutely. What about you, Sarah? What was something that worked for you? I define the, the tradition of Dia de los Muertos. I find it so comforting. And I just love the description that when your loved ones pass on, that they're never truly gone. And I loved all of that. The descriptions of the um, sugared skulls and all of that, the way that they really celebrate their ancestors and that they get to see them again. And I actually really liked the idea that the spirits were had a tether and that they would were able to stay until until they were ready to go. I just loved all of that because, you know, as someone who's lost people suddenly, like I love that idea that you don't have to say goodbye forever. And I really, really, really love that. And I it reminded me of the movie Coco, <laughs> which I yeah. adored that movie. Yeah. I, but but it's just it is just something very comforting about knowing that goodbye isn't forever and that you can have this visit. And when his mom, when um, Yadriel's mom came back and the, and he was able, I'm I'm, I'm gonna get it's choked beautiful. Up. But yeah. when he's able to show her that he's been accepted into his community, he has found this connection with Julian and all of that. I just thought that was really beautiful and I just loved it. I really loved how Thomas in the book focused on the importance of family and the Latinx culture. And it just really spoke to me because sometimes families maybe don't seem as close and as willing to help each other in like this extension of family. And I really loved how that was portrayed in the book and how Thomas celebrated that. Yes, I love that too. It's so, yeah, it, it's so vivid on the page. That is such a vibrant part of the book. I really love that. Yeah, I really like how we see it with Yadriel because even though his family, particularly his dad, he has this pretty profound conflict with, he continues to love him and continues to grapple with that instead of turning away from the relationship, he instead is trying to find a way through it. And I think all of that just speaks to what we see in the book of how important family is and those ties in the community and how Yadriel is willing to go the distance to try to find a way to make it all work out, you know? Mm -hmm. <laughs> what worked for you, Ashley? Something that I really loved is seeing how as Yadriel gets to know Julian better, he becomes so much more comfortable in himself. I just thought all of that was really beautiful. I think that Thomas just shows the way that love and relationships can bring us to being happier in our own selves. And I think that was so beautiful. That whole scene where he uses the boys' bathroom for the first time and how it's through his relationship with Julian that he feels empowered to do the thing that he should be able to do, but needs affirmation to do. I think all of that just makes so much sense. I think that's such an experience of being a teenager. I think that we see for him 
his experience of finding his way of being more comfortable. He is comfortable that he is trans, but he does feel discomfort about some things. And so, you know, using the bathroom or his binder and, and whether people can see him without that, like the, those things we see his discomfort. And I just love seeing, and there are a lot of moments in the book where we see this thing that he's had apprehension about become no longer an issue for him mm -hmm. and how empowering that is. And I just think it's a celebration of love for each other and the importance of relationships and how, especially for teenagers, that relationship can bring about this freeing sensation. I loved the end where he doesn't have the binder in the, in the hospital and he has this moment of feeling disconcerted and then it just releases and we feel that release with him of just being like, ah, yes, yes, mm -hmm. this is, this is me and this is right. And I don't have to hold all this worry about being a certain way for someone else. Because again, I think another thing that I think we see really well with Yadriel is that he is comfortable in his own skin, but he wants other people to be happy and comfortable. And sometimes his desire to keep everyone else around him comfortable makes him worry about these things that he just shouldn't have to worry about and doesn't need to worry about. And Julian, mm -hmm. who's you know, entire personality is so different than, and I mean, I relate a lot to Yadriel's personality, you know, of like worrying about doing the right thing. You want to keep other people happy. I overanalyze stuff. So like, you know, I really related to that. And Julian is just like the opposite and he does what he wants when he wants. And he's so free and so open and so different from Yadriel. And we just see how that really brings for both of them, that brings about such fulfillment to have each other. And I thought all that was really beautiful. So yeah, that really worked for me. I love that too. Ashley, did you listen to it? I did both. I read and listened. Yep. And I, I enjoyed both. I love the interpretation the narrator took with Julian's voice. <laughs> it was really comical. I thought he was really funny. Yes. Yes. I, I really, the audio parts that I listened to, I felt like, I, I listened to the note as well, Sarah, the interview at the end. And I really loved hearing, I mean, it is an actor, you know, who read the book and you can really tell because he had such uh yeah, he just had so much personality in each of the characters. And so, yeah, I was like, oh yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Like apparently he had never read a book before, but has an acting background instead. And you know how cool that is. So that discussion was really neat, but the author, he and the author talk, and I mean, he is a Latinx trans man. And, you know, it, Aiden Thomas was so pleased to have someone who had had that experience as the reader. And then mm. the, I don't remember the actor's name, but he was so honored to get to read a book that portrayed this and just talked about how he didn't have a book like that when he was younger and how cool it is to have that. So. Oh, that's neat. I didn't, that was not part, I read it in print both times. And so I have not gotten to experience that interview. I'll have to go I'll, look it up. I was going to say, I'll have to look and see if it's online because it was really neat. It wasn't particularly long, but it was just really sweet to hear them talk to each other. And I thought both of them just shared really interesting things. I agree. Okay. We could discuss for a long time, a lot of the things that happened, but we're going to move on to a quote for each of us. Sarah, which quote did you choose? So I'm staying with this theme of Dia de los Muertos and just our celebration of people who have been here and not. And mine is Yadriel once asked his mom why they didn't just take, take all of someone's pain when they were sad. 
she had explained it was important to let people feel grief and mourn the loss of a loved one. And I just thought that was really beautiful because I think with the brujos and the brujas, they have, they had a lot of power, you know, they, and especially the brujas where they have healing and the ability to take away some of that, you know, some of the, some pain and heal people that it was so important to know that sometimes when we lose someone that the grief and the mourning is part of the process and that you have to go through it. And I just thought that was really beautiful. And I, I really loved the relationship that Yadriel had with his mom, both like in the flashbacks when he's telling us about her and then how, like I said before, he was so excited to see her and show her because he was, she was so supportive and accepted him for who he was. So I really loved that. And that's, so that's why I chose that quote. Can I also just say, I loved Percasso and <laughs> how that was something, an experience that went really wrong for Yadriel and that what he and his mom worked through together, that they had decided to take Percasso in. And even though the cat was now damaged and looked really strange, they loved Percasso no matter what. And I just thought it, it was such a minor part of the book. It's really a blip on the screen of the whole book. But I really loved every time Percasso showed up, I was happy. And I yes. that name. I just, that's the best. But yeah, but I mean, I think that's all part of this love and acceptance that Yadriel's mom has and that Yadriel also has. And you can see that part of his mom what an effect that had on the family that you just take in, you take in everyone damaged or not. Yeah. What about you, Jen? What's your quote? So mine is, this is going to uh, really overlap with what Ashley said, but it's, why do you have to prove that you're a brujo, a guy to them? Why do you have to prove anything to anyone? And Julian says that to Yadriel when they are talking about the tradition that men are brujos and Yadriel is really convinced that he has to prove that that is the right path for him. And I think, again, we just, we see Julian throughout the book, just accept who Yadriel is. And it's everything from that bathroom incident to when they go to the party on the beach toward the end and Julian wants Yadriel to drink and Yadriel says, I don't drink and is gearing up to make this big argument. And Julian's like, okay. And I just, I loved that. So when Yadriel finds out that Julian's gay, Julian just says it and that's it. And Yadriel is thinking about how it's this big endeavor every time he has to explain that he's trans and gay and that he has to have this big explanation ready. And it's just, it, okay, it's just, Julian's just ready to move on. And I think seeing that acceptance in so many different small places through the book, that there's just not a question. If this is your identity, if this is who you are, if this is what you say, then that's what I'll accept. And later on that page, there's this conversation where Yadriel is like, I'm the first trans Bruhex. And Julian just laughs because he's like, of, over this many centuries that this has been a tradition, of course, you're not the first one. And that's just this revelation for Yadriel. So yeah, again, I think just the way Julian helps Yadriel understand who he is and that he does not owe an explanation to anyone is one of my favorite arcs through the book. Absolutely. I think, again, the contrast in their two personalities is a big part of it. So some of it is him working through getting past that idea that he has to be 
all things that all people need him to be or something to that nature. But, but part of it is like their personality differences, but I agree that seeing Julian so comfortable in his own skin and so free to be who he is and to do what's right for him and to not worry about what that looks like to anyone else. I think all of that's just really amazing. Ashley, what's your quotation? So I chose one from right at the end of the book and it is one of the things I really loved was how Yadriel's dad is so willing to say, I was wrong and I am sorry and I'm going to do better. I think it's hard to do that. I think we don't often get to that space, but we want to be that. You know, we want to be that for our children. We want to be that for the people we love to be able to say, I am sorry, I was wrong and I will do better. And so he really sees a way forward and recognizes the mistakes that he has made. And so he gives these really amazing speech and welcomes Yadriel into the community of the Brujos and does a celebration and very publicly says those things. And so this quote says, things weren't magically fixed by an empowering speech, but it opened doors and built bridges. It carves out space for Yadriel to step forward and be who he was as he was. There were still more obstacles to overcome and battles to fight, but Yadriel wouldn't feel alone in it anymore. And I just love that because I mean, absolutely, it's the things that we've already talked about that we as the readers want him to be accepted and to see that he is exactly who he should be and that he shouldn't have to do anything to make that space. And so I love that where it's like it carved out space for him to step forward and be who he was, because that's exactly it. It's like it is up to people in the community also to make space for each of us to be the person that we are and for there to be room for that. And I think that that's just such a beautiful idea. And I love how it takes his dad turning away from what he sees as being a tradition. I mean, one of the, again, talking about passing comments, I think were really significant. was like the comment that, you know, the whole language is based on gender and how complicated that is. And of course, that is absolutely something we're working through in our society right now. What does it mean that we're so determined to attribute gender to people? And because of that, it's causing a lot of problems for a lot of people who feel that they don't fit into these categories. And then because of that, it feels as if there's no space for them. And so I think that I just love that. And I love how it does take his dad very publicly making a change, saying he was wrong, looking in a different direction and that that opens up this space. And so, you know, and I also appreciate it in the quote that Yadriel recognizes that there's going to be more struggle and that the struggle is not over, but that he doesn't have to be where he was before. So, right. Yeah. So, yes. Yeah. I love that acknowledgement that a speech doesn't change everything, but it that doesn't make it meaningless. Yeah. That's right. Yep. Absolutely. Well, we're going to move on to our pairings. So each of us has chosen something that we would recommend. If you loved Cemetery Boys, then this is something that you might enjoy. So Jen, what's your pick? So my pick is Molly Knox Ostertag's The Witch Boy Trilogy, which is a middle grade graphic novel series. And the parallels here with Cemetery Boys hit me right after I read Cemetery Boys. So this one's about a 13-year-old boy named Aster. And similarly, there is a gendered fate, destiny for each person in this family. So the girls are raised to be witches and the boys are raised to be shapeshifters. And Aster has not shifted yet. 
And he has always been really fascinated by witchery and by wanting to know how to be a witch. And so you see, again, this idea that your destiny shouldn't be driven by your gender. And Aster meets Charlie, who is a girl from the community, and she does not match the gender expectations either. And she is really struggling with that. So she really loves sports. She does not like a lot of the things that are expected for girls to like. And she's struggling with that. And so when they find each other, one in the community, one outside of the community, but you see how each of them is struggling with gender roles in similar ways and their support for each other is really beautiful. So there are a lot of differences from Cemetery Boys. This is very solidly written for, I would say, an upper elementary or middle grade audience. Aster's 13. I can't remember if I said that, but... You see a lot of the same struggles and support. There's also a really strong family history that is woven into the book. And one of the subplots that unravels has to do with previous generations who have experienced those same expectations and what happens when people aren't allowed to be who they are and to choose their own paths forward. So it's not a read alike, but oh my goodness, there are a lot of parallels. So if you're looking for books for younger readers that are addressing some of these same topics. I think that the, the the Witch Boy is the first book in the trilogy. I think the trilogy is just wonderful. Both of my kids read it and absolutely loved it. So it's a wonderful series. Yes. When you've talked about that one before, Jen, I keep wanting to get to it because it sounds really amazing. You would love it. Oh my goodness. And they're beautiful books. Yeah. They're just all the things that graphic novels do well, they do well. They're so good. Maybe I can borrow those one. <laughs> in <Absolutely>. the spring. <laughs> what about you, Sarah? What's your pick? So I picked for my pairing a buddy read that we did a while back. It's by Micah and Maritza Mulit, and it is Dear Haiti, Love Elaine. And I picked this because they're, to me, like something that stuck out in Cemetery Boys was this deep generational history of the brujos and the brujas and just a lot of traditions that happen within the community of the brujas and brujos. And so I felt like in this book about Haiti, there was a lot of, there was a lot of that like Haitian culture and how generational, in this case, there was a generational curse, but how that played out from generation to generation and how family played a part in that. And so that's why it reminded, I mean, it's like, like Jen said about her choice, it's not a read alike, but it is, there are some similar things. And so when I was trying to think of a book that reminded me of Cemetery Boys or had some of the same things happening, this book came to mind. And I, I really love this book. I thought it moved really quickly. And I just saw a lot of similarities in the generational histories that we learn about in both books. So that is Micah and Maritza Mulitz, Dear Haiti, Love Elaine. Nice. Yeah, yeah that's, that's a great, a great pairing. Yeah, I love that one. Ashley, what's your pairing? So I chose one, like I focused more on identity and exploration of being trans and how that feels for a teen. And so I chose Casing Calendars, Felix Ever After. And this one is very much set in the real world. It does not have any fantasy elements, but I think that Felix's exploration of self and his, he's also kind of a similar character in the sense that he is really 
introverted. He is very thoughtful and concerned about others. And so he, he does a lot of that. Like, I think that Yadriel has a, we see a lot into kind of his internal thoughts and really his like working through what that means for his family, what that means for his friends, like how, you know, how all those things fit together. Felix does a lot of that too. So I really love that. And I think that's a strong connection. The other thing I think is really similar is young love and how and kind of new love and coming to realize that you have feelings for someone and how that changes how you understand yourself. So I think both of them have that too, this kind of sweet romance component that I think is such a great joy to read and in young adult literature and that we especially can celebrate for Felix and for Yadriel as the they feel this sense of belonging that for both of the characters I think they did not feel before and are are coming to feel more as they develop a relationship with someone. And so in this one, Felix is at an art school. He is a trans boy. He early on, he feels very comfortable with that, but similar to Yadriel, he doesn't want people to use his dead name. He doesn't really want people asking him a lot of things or having to do any kind of explaining about his life before. And so when he starts at the art school, he's really happy because he feels like he's got this clean slate. But early on, someone in this really troll way starts sending him really transphobic messages and also he's not sure if this is the same person or someone else, but somebody posts these photos of him prior to his transition and publicly displays them like a, like kind of like an art gallery. And so there's this really hateful incident at school. There's also who's someone who's trolling him online. And yet I think we see this with Yadriel also, you know, you as the reader for Felix might be like, block this person, report this person, block this person into this conversation. But he can't quite let go of the conversation. He won't block the person. And in some way, it's this feeling that he has to like put up with it in a way that, of course, for the as the reader, we don't want him to. But it's him finding that space to be himself and to be empowered to say, absolutely not. You don't get to decide who I am. You don't get to say these things to me. And so it's really just an evolution of him finding a space where he can stand up for himself and declare that other people don't get to treat him that way. And so I think similarly, we see this desire to empower himself that is such an evolution. And so I really celebrate that for Felix. I think that with Yadriel, we see it happen with Julian. With Felix, he there are several things that happen that kind of lead to him feeling more empowered. But yeah, I absolutely love it. I mean, and I think that what Felix comes to, you know, some of his whole thing is that he's never been in love and he really wants to be in love. And yet I think a lot of it is about how love doesn't always look the way that you think it's going to. And I think we see that in both of the books, you know, I think with Yadriel that he doesn't realize for a long time that he, what he feels toward Julian is love and that it's a, coming to discover that like, oh, that is with that feeling. You know, it's like when when he feels, when Rio says all these really hateful things about Julian and his rage at that, it's in those moments that he realizes how strongly he feels for him. And so again, I think with them have just really sweet love stories in them that I think are great. That one's Case and Calendars, Felix Ever After. And it's I've great. got to read that book. Oh my gosh. 
It's, I can't believe you haven't read it, Jen. I know. Every time Ashley talks about it, I, I, I'm not sure why I have not read it yet. So, yeah. We're going to wrap up our discussion of Aiden Thomas's Cemetery Boys with our bookish hearts. Jen, how many bookish hearts? Five. All the way. <laughs> awesome. What about you, Sarah? I think it was four for me. Ashley, what about you? I am going to go with four. There were so many things I absolutely loved about it, um, but I did, we didn't talk about this. I did feel like it jumped the shark a bit at the end, but yeah. I was here for it. I was here for <laughs> it. Anyway, I'm going to go with four. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I was very happy with how things turned out, but also like, huh. <laughs> uh -huh. Um, <laughs> okay. We wanted to wrap up today with a give me one. And this one is timely for the season. What is one book character you dress up as for Halloween? Jen, what's your pick? So I am picking, since we reread this book, I have been thinking about this character a lot. So I'm going to pick Anne from Anne of Green Gables. And for those of you who are listening, this is a slight spoiler for our November book club. So there, you just got some advanced knowledge. There you go. Yep. That's a good one. And I think she's a great character to choose for for that. I think it, we really think have a good sense of- I would look very strange, <laughs> but I would still love to. <laughs> well, we have a good sense of like what she would wear and what her hair would look like. Yeah. So good choice. What about you, Sarah? So I'm going to go with Katniss Everdeen from The Hunger Games because we don't talk about that series very often because it's just been so long since it came out, but I adored that trilogy and I taught it when I was teaching eighth grade and I, I just love Katniss and I think she's badass. So I would like to, <laughs> to dress up like her. What about you, Ashley? Yeah, I'm going to go with a fantasy series as well. I'm going to go with Marie Lou's Sky Hunter. So in that there are the strikers and they have like a particular outfit that they wear. And I think that they are really courageous and ultimately wind up fighting for the right side as, as it would be. So I'm going to go with what the Sky Hunters and strikers wear in Marie Lou's Sky Hunter. It's a great pick. Yes. I love that book. I, I know. I'm excited. For, yeah, I'm excited for the next one. I I really love that series. Well, thank you all for joining us today. We hope you enjoyed our discussion of our October book club pick, Aiden Thomas's Cemetery Boys. And we just want to remind you, if you're loving listening, please rate, review, and subscribe wherever you listen. And join us next month for, as Jen said, our little spoiler here for a <laughs> and a Green Gables reading. So we're looking forward to discussing that one for November. Thanks for listening. Do you have comments or opinions about what you heard today? We'd love to hear them. You can find us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at UnabridgedPod or on the web at unabridgedpod.com for ways to support us. To get more involved, you can sign up for our newsletter, join a buddy read, or become an ambassador. Thanks for listening to Unabridged.